Hey there, welcome to episode 24 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, really enjoy their job and make a bigger difference even during the pandemic. First of all, most importantly, I really hope you're doing okay during this difficult situation. I know that life is tough for lots of people right now and I hope you're safe and well. And in today's episode, I'm excited to share the second half of my conversation with the fabulous Paul McKenzie. Paul is Executive Director of Fundraising and Communications at DePaul UK, and his team have been doing incredibly well with their fundraising in really difficult circumstances. So a couple of weeks ago, to help inform the ideas in my new ebook, Power Through the Pandemic, I caught up with Paul over Zoom. In particular, I wanted to learn about his approach to leadership during this crisis. In episode 23 of this podcast, we talked about the importance of prioritizing the well-being of your team and how you do that in practice, as well as how to build trust and how, practically speaking, to approach communication. This time, because Paul has spoken in my other courses and my Bright Spot Members Club about things you can do to create a positive, energized culture, I wanted to know if he felt this was still possible to aim for, even during such emotionally turbulent times and during lockdown. We also talked about how to focus your team's efforts on the things that will make the biggest difference. We pick up the conversation halfway through the interview as I ask Paul about ideas for deliberately celebrating progress during the crisis. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. In the past, you've done talks for my Brightspot membership club and at my breakfast club with your former colleague Liz Tate about the culture that was achieved at Battersea Dogs and Cats Home. And part of that was to do with making time for not just task and not, not just people stuff, but actual fun and celebration and sort of the energy that that gives back in return for your effort and your creativity it has a magic to it. And um, is that one of the things you're, you're managing to carry on now at DePaul? And, and does it, even in times of crisis, are you managing to, to follow through on that? And is it paying off? Yeah, I think I'm quite a cynical Scotsman. So I always worry that I'm over celebrating. And actually, I've always been proven that if I just keep going, I'm always rewarded by it. So I really understand people's concern sometimes about forced fun. But um, we have a Friday email where I start, where I will email around and say, so what I am celebrating this week, and I'll say something that I've done that I'm quite proud of. And it will be stuff like I managed to get a trustee report done. It will be really open about my work. And then the idea is that everyone then will come in and celebrate and say all the great stuff that's happening. Um, And that happens every Friday. We get loads of great stuff, lots of shared pictures, all that kind of thing. And it's great for a remote working environment. We also, in that weekly meeting, I ask people, generally, I ask them what they're doing for the weekend and what their highlight is, what's the thing they're being most excited about, and they will share that. And again, it just brings out that positivity and that fact that work is a good place to be, and I am doing okay. Often, when you start doing stuff like that, 
people people worry that they haven't done something big enough, you know, or haven't done a six-figure gift, so I've got nothing to celebrate this week. Especially, you know, someone says, oh, I just got £100,000 from a donor. They're, oh, I can't do that, so I'm not going to say anything. Everything is, I encourage and I repeat it every week, I am looking for the smaller things first, not the bigger things. So I'm looking for you to say that I've been banging my head against the wall trying to get internal sign-off on my finance paper, and I've managed it. But that stuff is the small stuff's important because it creates momentum and a feeling that we're getting somewhere. And if you do that as a group, then when your people are having their bad week, someone else is having a better week and that energy is shared. And that's, as a leader, I think my job is to um, harness energy, right? So there will be people some days who are full of it. So I pull a bit of that and I sprinkle it across the team. And there'll be some people who don't have any how do I get some of that energy across to them? And that's my job, is to constantly look to see not just how people are, but where are the energy levels and make sure that we are putting putting fuel in the engine. Um, and especially at a time like this, where it is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, but everyone has been sprinting. Everyone. There isn't anyone in the fundraising sector who have not been running hard and feel like they cannot sustain this anymore. <laughs> um, including me. But there is a thing we, as a leader, I need to think about pace and energy and how am I going to sustain this environment for who knows how long. The world is going to be different. We're going to work differently for quite some time, no matter what that looks like. I have to think about that energy and that um, momentum all the time. It's my fuel and how do I put it in the team? And if you haven't thought about it, you'll find yourself in two months' time with a team who are flat on the floor, who don't think you looked after them and have no energy left. And all of a sudden, people are starting to give money again and your team are dead. And that's, that's you need to focus on that. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I have to be honest. In the past, when I've I've asked a charity what their ideas are for how they're going to encourage people more and help people celebrate successes, and their default answer is, "Oh, we're gonna once a year we're gonna do an award ceremony." My heart always sinks because it's always the same six people: the one that got the six-figure gift and the one that did did the flashy appeal. It's always those usual suspects that get an extra pat on the back. And then if you, just as the camera pans during the Oscars on the faces of the people who didn't win a prize, the net effect of often, in my experience, of those kinds of celebrations that charities do for the right reasons, the net effect is often negative on the 95% of people that didn't get a prize. Uh, and, and the people who were, who were already doing well and had a, a flash amount of money were already quite happy anyway. And the second problem I, I always have with those is that um, they happen far too infrequently. And what I see that the best cultures do is, A, like you're saying, they find a way to help, help people be genuinely pleased and happy to talk about small things. And secondly, let's not save it for a once-a-term once award ceremony. It's constant, and it's the norm to look for the, for the, for the wins, including and especially the small wins, rather than some convoluted process where you fill in a form to nominate someone. And those things, they, there may be times when they're done really well, but in my experience, to manage them really well takes loads of effort, which is why usually the ones I'm aware of have not been done very well and, and they tend not to lift the, the culture of people, everybody feeling like they're winning. Well, I mean, this might sound a bit millennial, but I think one of the issues is that if you have a prize 
there is one person who wins and 22 people who don't win. And so therefore you have created 22 losers and not one winner. And I think that's fine. And as long as there's a layer beneath that, which is about momentum and that celebration is driving that momentum. And therefore you, it's, you've got to make everyone feel like they're stepping forward. And I think as fundraisers in particular, is that your job is to get told no. That's your job. And therefore, if you don't look after that energy and you only ever celebrate the win, then you've got very little to celebrate. Like it's going to be, it's, it's a fairly, like it's going to be very one-off. Whereas if you celebrate the steps, and I mean, it's to your, you often talk about kind of taking the right steps towards getting the result. I think if you are going to talk about getting your team to do the right things, if you do the right things, you'll get to the result. If you're going to get them to worry about doing the right things, celebrate the right things, celebrate the small steps. Um, and that is more important now than it ever is. But I mean, that's something I, I'm really quite passionate about constantly is you need to make people feel that. And, and to another point as well is that at the moment, what I found is, so focus has been so important around trying to look at the, the places that we can win and making sure the team are putting their energies there and being really clear about the things we're not going to do at the moment and that that's okay. And it's not a loss. It's not bad news. It's not terrible that we're not going to look at these things at the moment or these areas of fundraising. We have other areas to focus on. Let's put our energies there. And that focus is helping us to put everyone's energy behind those focuses and make sure that everyone feels the ownership. And I think I'm lucky as well because I have communications in my role. I'm always thinking about things that are non-financial wins and that there are filters across the whole team as I need to make everyone feel they are winning even when it doesn't involve money. Yeah. And if there were any other tips, even if they seem relatively obvious, that you've noticed to catch people doing things right and help them go against their somewhat human instinct to think that these things are just small and they should only feel pleased once they get in and get to the end of the race or whatever. Any other tips you've noticed practically either to help your leaders catch their teams doing things right or to make more fun of that process, anything that kind of helps us be more playful so that we are celebrating the doing of the right steps and the right process rather than just giving ourselves permission to be pleased once in a blue moon? I think at the moment, I, as in my job, I have to be serious and talk to my team about serious things. And I think there's something about being clear when that is happening and being clear about how I am doing that and defining it, making space for it and making sure everyone gets a chance to question it, ask questions. So for instance, I talked about our budget today and all my team, I gave 25 minutes, lots of hands up, lots of questions. And then you you have to stop that and then you can move on to, okay, so what did everyone do at the weekend and what are your big steps for the next week? And you, you have to be delicate about how you communicate. And I think that's, for me, it's a real key thing about respecting the fact that you have to be serious and I have to communicate very seriously a lot and then having a start and finish to that and then having a bit where I'm going to be keen that everyone have a good time and I'm not gonna you know we're doing four o'clock drinks and I'm the first person sitting with my beer in front of the computer and I am not going to be talking about serious things here I'm going to be playing with my virtual background and drinking my beer and that's what I'm going to be doing and it is okay for everyone else to do that and that 
separation, I think, is important to make sure that you don't get caught out mixing those two things. And I think that's what people get worried about when they talk about this kind of fun is, oh, it's going to overlap with some very serious things we have to talk about. I don't think one has to exist without the other. Yes. And then the last thing that I've heard you allude to a couple of times is the need to focus, the notion that we cannot do everything you in normal times, especially now when the stakes are so high, we have to have a view on which things we're going to try and do well at. And that means which things we're not going to give time to. Just briefly, do you have any tips for the listeners on how to do that in practice? Because actually, it's, it's pretty hard, A, to work out what those are, and B, even harder to follow through oneself and to signal to your team that actually focuses power. This is where I want us to put our energy. I'd say the, the thing that I work very hard to do is listen to my heads of and managers when we are deciding what our focuses are for the team. So, and I mean, maybe, maybe I am a bad director when I do this, but my job is to listen to my team and help us make focused decisions and direction decisions. It's not to give that direction, it's to make decisions about that direction. And therefore, I am working very hard with my heads of for them to help me see where I think they think the opportunities are, what they think that we need to be focusing on. And then us making decisions as a group and giving that to the team and being very clear that it's not just me. It's about that management group being behind that focus and then us giving that out. So it's, there's no, no one in our team who doesn't look up to a manager and doesn't get the answer, this is the right thing we're doing, we're committed to doing this. And if we are going to change direction, this environment, we're going to have to trial things that we've never tried before, see how things work. And at some point, you're going to want to switch something off and say, right, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to try something else. That, again, gets made in one group. We definitively and clearly communicate that to the team and they know what the next steps are. I guess that's it's it's not being an island as a leader. We have an exec call regularly. I'm talking to more of my fellow exec directors more than I've ever talked to other directors across the sector. And it's really easy to get caught in that bubble about, right, let's decide direction and go off and tell the team what to do. You still have to make sure that the team feel bought into it and that they have, that you're listening to their expertise rather than just setting direction from exec director down because you lose the insight and the expertise. Um, and that's a danger at the moment, I think, and that you have to really test yourself. And presumably, that's the model of how you make decisions with your line reports. And you're modelling that and presumably encouraging that the heads of each team are doing the same thing. Because if one of their team is making lots of calls to a certain kind of supporter, they're picking up on certain human needs right now or you know, people don't want to get sponsored to, to do a sponsored hand wash right now because everyone's got sore hands. It's The front line are going to be get, kind of most likely to be learning and picking up insight about the fundraising environment and about whether products are or are not working and what, how our supporters are feeling right now about our cause. So, again, that tunes back into your earlier principle. If If we're all regularly communicating and listening as well as talking, we're maximizing the chances that we're hit picking up on important patterns and insight. And then it's the leader's job to, to be the, the last word on making a decision on a strategic direction. And that's happening both at a team level and then at, at your level as well. Yeah, and I think that at the moment it's really easy to think that insight doesn't exist anymore because it's a totally different world and no, no one's behaving like they normally do. Um, and yet, as you say, that 
my team are talking to supporters all the time and they're actually reacting differently. They're doing things that I we wouldn't expect them to do. You know, and so therefore it's about trying to cut out those assumptions and make sure that we're listening to the teams who are communicating. And like we have a messaging group now, purely driven by what questions the team are being asked and how do we get them answers. And I think at times of change at the moment, it's very difficult to have set answers for donors. You know, trust will be asking questions at the moment that lots of charities just won't be able to answer. Will these services be happening? We don't know. Um, but if that is a constant conversation and you're feeding, getting that fed up, then it's then my job to work across the exec team to get as much context back and having that flow. Um, but if you're not listening to your team and you're just making decisions at an exec level, you can't hear any of that. You're making lots of big decisions, and it turns out all your funders would have happily unrestricted their money and let you do whatever you want with it, but you didn't listen. I think that's so important. But again, it filters through that if you're constantly trusting your team to do the right job, giving them space to communicate, and you listen, and when you listen, it matters what they say, whether it's a personal issue or a professional issue, and that's the first thing that goes in your task list as a director, then that should all be coming through. To the end, it's about performance. I think the trick is to realize if you just go, well, I can't do all that other stuff because I'm worried about performance. Performance is the outcome of all those other things. And too often people go, well, I'm not going to do those things because I haven't got time because I'm worried about performance. And that's kind of the comedy. Is It's a recipe if you are not paying attention to those other things, you are not going to get the performance. And then just before we finish, Paul, what, one just fundraising question, which is a major challenge for fundraisers right now, is uh, they're unable to give detail to funders and donors about strategy, about what it looks like on the ground or how well it's working because it's changing all the time and our frontline colleagues are busy and so on. In your experience, how is that working? Are trusts, companies, donors willing to give because they care about solving some of the problems, even if we're not able to give them lots of detail about how the money's being spent? Uh, is that possible? And, and if, if not, have you found any ways around it? I, I personally think it's about, again, it's always about the conversation you're having with the donor and how you make that honest and real to me. And in moments like this, this is the best time to talk to a donor because you'll spend your life as a fundraiser going, oh, I need needs and it's really hard to get needs and I'm trying to get a case for support, but I can't get the information. And, you, you know, there are fundraisers everywhere who has that problem. Right now, you can phone up a donor and go, this thing is happening. It looks like this. And we really don't know what the future looks like. And that is a reality. And talk about that reality to your donor. And when they say, do you know the answer to this? We go, no, because because of this. I don't know it because of this reason, this reason, this reason. So you're still knowledgeable. You're still articulate about what your organization does. But you're honest about that lack of understanding. And that is the risk to your organization. So communicate that risk. Tell them about that worry. Get your exec directors to feed back to you. Our exec directors sat in a meeting today. And they literally couldn't plan the financial future because it's so difficult. Therefore, we are working day to day to build structure and we need your help to do that. You can get stuck. You automatically go back to what you promised the supporter and think, oh, I'm going to let them down and that's a problem and I need to go and get all those answers. 
have you picked up the phone and told them how tough it is and told them some stories about your supporters and your young people who are struggling in housing, young people who were isolated and struggling before this, and now they are officially isolated and feeling forgotten, and tell them how difficult it is just to get them some food. That's what you tell them, and then you tell them you need support to keep that kind of service going for the future. Are you with us? I think lots of donors will be excited by that vacuum, not scared by it. And yes, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are going to be trusts who need lots of information and we're going to have to work very hard to get it to them. But I actually think that at the moment, donors know their responsibility. And I think it's, again, it's about telling them stories about what is happening to your organisation and not getting stuck in what you can't say, work out what you can say. Thank you very much. Well, clearly your team are working ever so hard at implementing that way of working and it's paid, paying dividends so let's finish. I know, I know you've got plenty more to get done today. So thank you so much for making time for the interview. Uh, well done to all your team. I'd love to catch up again soon and find out how it's going, how you're getting on. Uh, but for now, Paul, stay safe. And thank you ever so much for the interview. Thanks, Rob. You too. Take care. So there you go. That's the second half of my conversation with Paul McKenzie. If you enjoyed it, One option is to go back and listen to episode 23. And if you'd like more detail on the five leadership priorities that Paul and I discussed, another option is to download my new ebook, Power Through the Pandemic. In the book, which was inspired by dozens and dozens of interviews with high achieving fundraisers like Paul, I share seven key fundraising strategies that are leading to success in corporate, major gifts and trust fundraising during this crisis. If you'd like a copy, you can download it for free from brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. That's brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. And if you did find my discussion with Paul helpful, I'd be really grateful if you could take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Paul is at Scott Paul Paul and I'm at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it reinforced some useful principles or gave you some helpful ideas. Until the next time, stay safe and good luck with your fundraising. Hold up. 